Welcome to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. If you're looking for news, tips, and stories about fishing the Great Lakes, you've come to the right place. And now your host, Chris Larson. Hello and welcome to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast. This is episode number 50. It's hard to believe we're already 50 episodes deep into the show, but here we are. I just want to say thank you for listening and being part of the show. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, I would love it if you could do me a favor and head to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify and leave a review. Your reviews help fuel the show and get it in front of more people. I also want to let you know that you can go to fishhawkelectronics.com and check out written versions of many of the podcasts you've been enjoying. Go to the homepage and then check out the read tab on the menu. This is a great way to share the show on social media or by email. You can also listen to the entire library of podcasts from the podcast page on the Fishhawk Electronics website. On today's show, we're going to look back at some of my favorite interviews. If you haven't listened to all the shows, you may get a taste of what you've missed. All the way back on episode 2, Jake Romanak from Fishing 411 TV stopped by to talk about fishing Isle Royale. That's a remote island on Lake Superior, and this trip sounds like a lot of fun. One of the cool things is we get to travel a lot with Fishing 411. We go all across the country, um, but one of the really cool Great Lakes trips that we took last year that's going to air on Fishing 411 this season was Isle Royal. And basically that is just, it was an incredible experience. We drove 55 miles with our walleye fishing boats, our 20-foot boats, ran 55 miles out into Lake Superior where you find the big island of Isle Royal. And we camped there for five days. Uh, and this was the end of May time frame. A lot of guys will go there in the summertime, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and when I say a lot, it's kind of an exaggeration. Not a lot of people go to Isle Royal. It's very much a wilderness experience. Um, but while we were there, we never saw another person the entire time we were there. When you think about Lake Superior in May, it's just a big, huge body of water that's ice cold. So it was a very cold, cold five days on the island. Uh, but the fishing was incredible, man. I mean, we, we lake trout fished to start off. And uh, where we ended up lake trout fishing, we were vertical jigging and casting big jigs, like one, two ounce jigs with big plastics. And uh, we ended up finding some really nice lake trout about seven miles from the island. And uh, these weren't the biggest lake trout I've caught in Lake Superior, but the best average size lake trout without doubt. We literally were catching, you know, between 10 and 20 pound fish at will. Uh, I've never lake trout fished where I literally wanted to be done. My arms were so <laughs> sore at the end of that day of fishing um, and you're catching them in deep water. So, so literally about two hours into it, you're like, man, I really don't want to drop that jig back down to the bottom because I hope I don't get bit, but just an incredible experience. So we ended up shooting an, an episode and we did the episode fairly quickly for fishing four on one, uh, but we knew we were going to be on the island for five days. So we we're like, okay, what else is there to do? So we started looking around and we ended up getting involved in that coaster brook trout fishing that Isle Royal is known for. And, uh, and that was incredible. We ended up catching those fish with little small jerk baits and we would look for the warmest available water. Now, if you remember, you think about Lake Superior, the whole lake is cold, but those bays that go into Isle Royal will warm up quicker than the main lake. And that's where those brook trout were. So we were looking for that 50 to 55 degree water. When we'd find that warmer water, then we would try to find some cobblestone and those fish like to be around that cobblestone. 
one of the really cool things about brook trout is if you find one, you normally find a group of them. And so we would look around, you'd make a lot of casts, but then when you'd find one, then you would sit and actually fish that group of fish and end up being able to catch five, six, seven fish out of one little small area. And before the time was, was done, we caught a ton of fish and we ended up shooting a second show, which we didn't plan on doing while we were there, but the fishing was so incredible, we figured we would get two shows for the price of one. Lake Erie is legendary walleye water, but the midsummer steelhead bite is also a can't-miss fishing opportunity. The next few clips both center on Lake Erie steelhead. The first one is from episode 5 with Captain Dean Cushman from Hardcore Charters, and the next one is from Captain Paul Powis from J&P Fishing Charters on episode 17. A lot, a lot of times, you know, they're jumping out of the water before they trip a board or a downrigger or anything like that. So you look behind the boat, all of a sudden there's a fish six feet out of the water. You go, oh, look at that. that that's pretty cool. <laughs> and uh, then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, he's on one of my lines, but he hasn't pulled it back yet. Yeah. So the fero ferocious on the line, they take, you know, they don't peel a lot of line off like you would a king salmon. Um, but again, they are out of the water a lot. And that's kind of the challenge to actually handling those big fish is figuring out as an angler how to keep them more in the water. Every time they jump, your chances of landing one probably go down with 50%. As trollers, what we do to try to perfect that is we put a little everything out and see what works and, what, and that tells you what doesn't work. So um, typically my spread would be a couple of riggers and then I would run multiple dipsies. So I'd run a one dipsy on the inside, a two and a three. I'd run three aside. So that's eight rods. And the fishing has been that good the last three years that I can get away with eight rods. But then if maybe things are off after a cold front or whatever, we'll put the boards out too and I can run five on there. So up to an 18 rod spread if we're really trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And then uh, as the fish in the box starts to fill, we'll start pulling rods and uh, concentrate on areas. With the big planer board spread, we cover a lot of water in wide swaths, but turns are turns take a quarter to a half a mile. Yeah. So a lot of times if I'm on just a, a, a certain um, bait ball with that with really active fish i'll pull the boards in just fish the dipsies in the rigger and i can work tighter circles and stay on them like that king salmon fishing on lake ontario is better than ever captain vince pierleone from thrill seeker charters joined the show for episode number six pierleone has been in the charter industry on lake ontario for almost 40 years and has seen the lake evolve into the fishery it is today i have watched the angler effort go from uh, just hoping to catch something to targeting the first big population of lake trout so that they could move their rods readily to today where Chinook salmon is the major, major player and most of the effort is going into catching the Pacific salmon. We don't have a, a huge population of coho. We'd like to see that change, but it's primarily Chinook salmon effort and uh, they definitely br bring in the bring in the people bring in help you know give us a good shot to the economy on the south shore of lake ontario now that they have the alloys a little bit under control there's still excessive numbers of them regardless of what's been heard um, there's still an immense amount billions and billions of alloys out there but they're not to the surplus where the, the fish are overly fat so the fight of the fish is improved Certainly the edibility of the flesh has improved and uh, the population of Chinooks are actually adapting. So we now have naturalized Chinooks that have spawned on their own as well as supplemental stocking to help areas that don't get the natural reproduction. Captain Dan Keating has written the book when it comes to Great Lakes salmon trolling. Well actually he's written several of them. 
Keating on Kings is thought by many to be the Bible of the sport. We had Captain Keating on the show for episode number 24. You know, the first question is, where is Mr. King Salmon? You know, in the summertime, you know, we can kind of make the lake a little bit smaller and figure this out um, by water temperature and bait fish and structure. Um, kings like cold water, you know, big mature kings, not shaker kings, but larger kings, I believe they're Primary range is probably going to be 42 to 48 degrees, but they will they will tolerate water up to 55, 56, 57 degrees um, as well. But they need that real cold water. Um, they also need a lot to eat. Um, so, you know, alewives are their preferred food source. So we've got to find the cold water, got to find the alewives. So your first step is to locate the thermocline, figure out where the thermocline is, and then the kings in the summer are going to be from that point down. They're going to be below that. Um, then, you know, you start thinking about bait. Um, one other factor that will really help us as far as we're putting this puzzle together between the cold water and the bait fish are currents and structure. Um, pay a great deal of attention to currents when I'm fishing, not just for my lure speeds, but I'm, I'm watching the weather and um, I'm watching, you know, because the currents in Lake Michigan are, they're wind driven. So maybe back up a few uh, steps here. Um, so every time the wind shifts directions, the current's gonna change. So in the summertime, I'm watching the winds before I go out fishing. Um, you know, if you're, if you're fishing every day, you're kind of experiencing the winds. But what I tell guys at our salmon schools that we do in the wintertime, I tell recreational anglers that if you don't have access to a lot of information before you go fishing, pay real close attention to the weather um, in the week leading up to your fishing trip. Kind of watch what direction the winds are because that's going to give you a clue on what direction the currents are. Now the currents, they move the thermocline around. So like where I fish out of, if we get a, a southerly, a wind out of a southerly to a southwest component, that's going to drive the thermocline closer to shore in the water column. We get an onshore wind where I fish out of that pushes the warm water in, cold water down. Um, so it's going to kind of, it's making the lake a little smaller so I know whether or not I'm going to have cold water within five miles of shore, maybe in that 40 to 100 foot range, or if the water is going to be warm in there and I already know that I have to blast out to deeper water to find that, that cold water. When you pay attention to the currents like that though, you also, before you go fishing, you already know um, how the currents are going to be moving beneath the surface. So when you're setting lines, you don't really have any surprises. You're kind of anticipating it. Um, the other thing I'm looking for when I'm targeting the kings when I go out, once I figure out that area that I want to fish with the water temperature, I like to be around structure for kings. That definitely concentrates the baits, um, creates some upwellings and lots of other things that you can talk for hours about. Um, so I'm heading to areas that I've already marked off on my GPS where there's good structure. Um, as far as, you know, setting lines, if you're getting out in the dark to fish that sunrise period, and those are the easiest kings of the day to catch at first light, kings will move up in the water column to feed. Um, so a lot of times we're setting our lines in the dark or, you know, you know just before sunrise, you're setting, you're targeting, um, maybe 20 feet below the thermocline, up into the thermocline, and maybe 10, 15, 20 feet above the thermocline. Because on Lake Michigan, there's a whole lot of life in that thermocline. There's a whole lot of plankton and dead matter, so you've got your bait, your alewives, your baby perch, whatever, 
they're all feeding there. So your salmon, they're going to move up into that zone under the cover of, of night and darkness. They're going to feed. And then what you see kings doing is you'll see them dropping down during the day. Captain Mark McClutchy owns and operates Diabolical Sport Fishing out of northern Michigan. McClutchy spends most of his time on the water fishing Lake Michigan and Lake Huron. We talked to him back on episode 31. So in the spring, we're fishing out of Sheboygan. We're fishing um, the reefs offshore, whether it's uh, Reynolds Reef, Spectacle Reef. Uh, we're fishing around Boys Blank Island in that area. As the summer progresses, we start fishing up towards Mackinac a little bit when the kings show up. And then late August, we actually move the boat to Petoskey on Little Travers Bay. And we move it there for the sole purpose of targeting king salmon that are staging to run the Bear River. So we, um, we, we basically relocate the boat for about a month and a half and fish kings uh, exclusively out of Petoskey. The Wisconsin side of Lake Michigan is red hot these days. Captain Will Jewell from Fin and Fly Sport Fishing in Port Washington, Wisconsin, joined the show for episode number 34. First part of June, and we usually have a pretty good mix. Sometimes it's a little earlier depending on how the weather is. Um, but there's always, I'd say, a decent amount of uh, lake trout opportunity before that even. So if you want to sneak out in May, fish for some of those lake trout, they're definitely around. There also is, I mean, there is salmon too here in the mix. So that's kind of early. And then um, as June progresses, we get more fish that show up. As the water in the lake warms up, they just scoot north. And we have a pretty solid mixed bag throughout June and first part of July. So we hold a lot of those coho, rainbow, and kings, which is really nice. So, you know, I'd say for your most action, you're talking June. And then if you want a little more, I would say trophy potential, and so all of July and the first half of August is super good. And then I feel we start to lose some Kings over to the Michigan side, since in my opinion, they hold, they have a little more better uh, uh, natural reproduction on that side. So I mean, a lot of those natural fish, they'll start to migrate back towards the Eastern shore of the lake and North. So we do lose some fish, but I feel that we hold our good share over here in the summer uh, just because of the bait opportunity for the fish and forage on. So, that's kind of how our lake uh, sets up here for us in Port. A little bit, a little bit of mixed bag of everything early, and then I would say second half of July through through August is mainly kings, but we do get a mix of everything else. So it's kind of nice to have the changing of the seasons. You're not doing the same thing all the time. You know, like either southern part of the lake, you know, it's you get a little bit of. I've I've gone down there and fished Waukegan. I fished St. Joe's over on the Michigan side in April and May. And uh, you got to go to the fish, and as they migrate up, obviously they lose fish as it goes and turns into a lot of lake trout fishing down towards the Wisconsin-Illinois border, which some people are, uh, you know, stoked about and like doing that, and everybody's got their thing. But I feel the, the salmon is what drives, you know, the sport fishing industry out here. Back on Lake Ontario, the Toronto area is a hotbed of salmon fishing. Ian Britton from Kings on the Run discussed why he loves fishing Toronto on episode 46. You know, the name uh, Bluffers Park Marina is because of the bluffs or the cliffs that we can see from the lake that are, you know, a few hundred feet high. We, uh, a couple miles offshore, we have another bluff underneath the water. And uh, as most anglers know, structure is a lot of things. Um, you know, for an open basin lake like this, 
it's pretty rare to have some structure like that. So obviously it holds fish and bait and it's got some good currents and things. So that's why I'm here because uh, in my eyes, you know, it's the best fishing opportunity during the summer months here in Toronto. Ian is situated on the east side of Toronto. Matt Urbanski is west of Toronto. There's far less structure on his fishing grounds, but the action is just as hot. Urbanski takes a Pacific Northwest approach to catching fish on Lake Ontario. So I've really tried to adopt that uh, Western philosophy and program. Um, a lot of what we like to run here, um, I would say baits, tackle, and philosophy would be the three points. I'll start with bait. Uh, baits, I like to run a lot of hole baits. Um, I know strips are really popular in the Great Lakes. I like running eight-inch hole herring, uh, five-and-a-half-inch plus anchovies. We run them with a Rye Davies head, either clean or with a Twinkie rig. Um, as far as paddles and tackle, we use a lot of Kingfisher 2s, which are really popular from Gibbs Delta. Um, Oki Big Shooters, something similar to this, which would be a, a Super Betsy with a chrome and a glow flash on the back. Um, aside from the meat program, we've adopted a lot of what they do out west with their hardware as well. Um, something really popular out west is called the Skinny G. It's a quarter ounce spoon. It's very light, uh, probably the same weight as a trolling fly. Gives you lots of flexibility for speed uh, behind a paddle at a variety of distances. I run anywhere from three feet to 12 feet. And some guys look at me strange when my Twinkie rigs are 14 feet. Makes it very difficult to net, but sometimes makes the difference for me. Um, Long lines and such, we adapt a lot of what they use out west with their G-Force program. They make these spoons in a four, uh, three, four, and six inch. Um, I really like them in anything from a trailhead to the herring aid, which is probably the most popular pattern out west that's been very dominant on the Great Lakes last year and also this year. Um, hoochies are also something that I like to play around with that's uh, very popular out west, a little heavier than our traditional uh, trolling fly. Gives you a little more flexibility in current and with speed and with running a variety of spreads where you don't have to be 2, 2.1, 2.2, you can run faster. Um, yeah, I guess the other part there too would be the tackle. Um, we run a lot of mooching outfits on all of our riggers, uh, 10 foot six rods, which would seem really long to the traditional Great Lakes fishermen. Lots of playability, lots of leverage, lots of fun. Uh, you can still control a fish and pull them up the runway behind the boat without a problem. Um, we pair those with a mooching reel for those that aren't familiar with them. Very similar to a center pin with a one-to-one -one ratio. So as opposed to a level wind where one crank equals six turns of the reel, etc. every one rotation is one rotation. That fish runs at the boat, you got a crank to keep up with them. He takes off, he takes off. I attribute it a lot to driving stick versus an automatic. I'd say a level wind's more like an automatic and a uh, mooching outfit would be like driving sticks. So you do have a drag, you have the ability to palm, you have the ability to play a fish, gives you that direct connection with the fish, the fight's fantastic. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that in itself is probably one of the biggest attributes we've adopted from out west, but um, a lot of how they fish is very similar to us, although in the Great Lakes, we predominantly focus on speed and temperature. I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that's a big one for us. Um, out west, I'd say more tide and structure. Tide isn't something we deal with here. We obviously have the water levels that change throughout the season, but not the same way that tide does throughout a day. 
Um, and structure-wise, again, unless we're fishing, staging fish, and we're bumping bottom with cannonballs and divers, I I'm flat bottom here in the west end of the lake. Most of these clips were trout and salmon related, but as you know, the Great Lakes offer abundant fishing for several species. I'll have a best of walleye show coming up soon. If you have a show idea or guest recommendation, email me at chris at greatlakesfishingpodcast.com or DM us on Instagram at fishhawkelectronics. Thanks for listening today and over the past 50 episodes. Good luck on the water the rest of the season. Thanks for listening to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast presented by Fishhawk Electronics. For more information on fishing the Great Lakes, visit our blog at fishhawkelectronics.com.